You're listening to Working Girl Talk. I'm your host, Abby Zufeld. As a marketing strategist in the corporate world and a side hustler myself, you'll hear the real girl talk on all things workplace and work life with me and my inspiring guests who've been exactly where you are. Working Girl Talk is on a mission to make your workday better. Now, let's talk. Hello, welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me here today. As with any episode, we're going to start off with some headlines and then we're going to head into our interview this week, which is so helpful. I am so excited. This is the perfect episode if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a business owner, or if you want to start your own business, this is a good one. Let's dive into some headlines. According to Search Engine Journal, Google is facing a $5 billion lawsuit over tracking users in incognito mode. I am so sad by this news. Who else thought incognito mode was just the foolproof way to go undetected? I know I did. So, uh, but there is some dispute on both sides. So here is the full story. So the lawsuit alleges Google is in violation of wiretapping and privacy laws for intercepting, tracking, and collecting communications when Chrome's incognito mode is in use. Google has been trying to get this lawsuit dismissed since it was filed last June. A federal judge just ruled that the lawsuit must go forward. In the judge's ruling, it stated that Google does not adequately inform users that their data can be collected in incognito mode. Google disputes the claims via a company statement by a spokesperson. So Google is disputing this. We're having some back and forth here, but this is definitely something to keep an eye on because Google is a huge company and things may not be what they seem. They may be what they seem. Interesting to know. There we go. Next headline, CNBC International reports that Uber said it would be treating all 70,000 of its Britain drivers as workers entitled to minimum wage holiday pay and pension plans. A few weeks ago, the UK Supreme Court ruled Uber's drivers were workers. Uber has long insisted its drivers are independent contractors. Bank of America estimates the setback could cost Uber a total of more than $500 million. Lots of controversy around this Uber and how their workers are. This has been like a, a back and forth for a while too. So in the UK, they are now classified as workers. The reason I picked this story, one, it's interesting and it could potentially be something that happens here. Who knows? But when Uber first went to England, I was actually there. I think maybe I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again if you haven't heard. When Uber first went to England, I was actually there. I was there for study abroad for journalism school. So we were reporting on stories there. And my group decided to do a story on the Uber riots that were happening with taxi drivers. So taxi drivers were upset that Uber was coming into the UK and because taxis are such a big thing there, kind of like a lot of taxi drivers were, and it kind of killed that whole industry. So a lot of taxi drivers were like rioting and there's all these strikes. So me and my two partners on the story got in a taxi and we're interviewing the taxi driver while he was talking. And we even tried to get uh, an Uber and it was just like a super funny thing. So that is my experience with Uber in the UK. So there we go. But the taxi drivers at that time did not approve. They hated Uber. It was very interesting. 
Next story, Bloomberg reports that Amazon is expanding what it can deliver. This time it's aiming to deliver telehealth services to employers across the country. Amazon Care is what it's called, began as a pilot in Seattle in 2019. But this week, the company announced that it's expanding the service to other companies, starting with Washington. And they intend to offer the service to companies in all 50 states. Pretty interesting. So Amazon, once again, taking over. There we go. They're getting into healthcare. Next and last story, CNBC reported something pretty interesting. And as always, I link what I am quoting and I link the articles in the show notes so you can go find them yourself and do some research because this one's pretty interesting. Spam callers get record $225 million fine from the FCC. We all get those weird messages or those weird robocalls of your warranty is out of date or we need your social security number, like crazy stuff. Who else gets the spam calls? Not a fan. But it's becoming such a massive problem that the FCC is trying to combat the issue, slapping two telemarketing firms with a record fine of $225 million for making 1 billion robocalls in 2019. There we go. Definitely keep an eye on this one, but maybe, just maybe, there will be less robocalls in the future. And now for our episode today, I'm so excited to welcome Jessica Marks to today's episode. She is a business growth strategist, also recently named top female coach by Yahoo Finance. She comes from a background in the C-suite at a huge company, managing multi-million dollar budgets and executing growth strategies for a billion dollar startup. She has her background in some pretty serious business. She also decided to leave that behind, start her own business of being a business coach where she helps female founders get the foundation, get what they need so they can become their own six-figure business owner. In this episode, we talk about niching down your services. What does that actually look like? getting your pricing model together, how to raise prices without losing clients. This is what this was a specific request by a listener and I'm so happy we got to talk about this. How to feel more confident in sales and sales calls specifically and how to really sell yourself in your business. This is the perfect episode for young entrepreneurs and business owners or if you are interested in starting a business one day and don't know how to take that first step with creating your pricing model and creating that business plan. Here we go. Welcome Jessica to the show. To get to what you do now, Was there a defining moment for you when you knew like your passion was to help female business owners? Yes. So to give you a little bit of a background, I joined a startup company. I was doing commercial and real estate sales um, in San Diego, California. And in 2008, 2009, I was approached by a local company that was a startup in the medical device field that I knew nothing about, um, ended up growing with that company. And in 2015, it sold for eight and a half billion dollars. And I was the um, national sales. I was the head of national sales and corporate strategy, reporting directly to the CEO of an all-male C-suite team. And so I had invested and the company had invested in myself throughout the eight years um, that led up to that. And I had kind of decided in working with some of the coaches that I had the honor of working with, that someday I wanted to take the experience, take what I learned, because it doesn't come as easy for women as it does for men, and be able to teach other women how to do the same. So I stayed on for two more years after the sale of the company, Um, new board of directors, new executive team came in and I got pregnant with my twins 
And it was kind of that moment where I had to either decide I was going to stay on and continue working the 90, 100 hour weeks traveling all across the U.S. Or I could go all in on my dreams of being a mom and starting this company. So I, I, I joke around now, but I have three-year-old twins and a three-year-old business because I launched everything all at once in my life that I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. Were you doing like any side hustling while you were working full-time or was it just like cut it off, go in at that point, like everything? I wasn't doing any type of side hustle. Um, being an executive at that company took all of my time. And then, um, I did take a few months off when I had the kids and tried being a mom for a few months. And I, I thought it was going to last a year. I told myself I was going to give myself the first year to be home with them. And um, I only lasted a few months. And so I basically said I was going to start this as a side hustle to being a mom. And everybody, including my husband, laughed like, you don't do anything as just, you know, I'll go into it a little bit. And within a few months, it was a six-figure business. Can you give us, like, shed us shed a little light on what a business strategist, business coach does? Because I think sometimes we hear that, but maybe we don't know the exact tactics and what that actually looks like for somebody. Yes. So I'm very fortunate in that I do bring billion-dollar experience. I mean, it was all hands on deck um, from the executive standpoint building this company. And so I've, I've ridden the highest of highs in building a company like that. And then the lowest of lows and, um, everything from, you know, $400 million refinances to the actual sell of the company to, um, you know, large investigations, you name it, I've been a part of it. Um, but also overseeing the commercial and the sales side of the business, I'm able to bring experience to my clients in building these multiple six and seven figure companies in a way that's not just what's trending right now. I think a lot of the coaches in the market focus on, you know, the social media platforms or, or what's currently happening versus how do you get through things like a pandemic? How do you prepare yourself for a recession? How do you build out a team um, that's highly profitable for your company? And so because I've been able to do that on such a larger scale um, and with some of our own smaller businesses that my husband and I own, I'm able to then work with my clients and build out not only sales strategy, but marketing, solid business foundations and kind of everything in between that will build this company, but any company they start in the future as well. Very cool. And I like that you mentioned not even like the trendiness, but something that's going to be long lasting and sustainable because trends can come and go. What seems shiny and new now may not always be. And that's even something I was looking on your website at one of your blogs. And that was one of the mistakes people make that you had written about of like the taxi industry wasn't prepared for an Uber to come in. They thought they were fine and that was going to last forever, but it just disruptor came and they kind of got destroyed a little bit. Yes. And so there's a fine line between being innovative and staying on top of what is trending, but also knowing how that plays into a long-term vision of your company. And is that the right choice to, for your specific model 
to be lucrative for you? And is it going to work for the type of business that you're building? Because it's not for everybody, but had the taxi companies, I mean, just using that analogy, had they invested into more of the consumer side and the client experience? And is there an app? Should we invest more into IT versus having people call? They would have been first to market on this, but they just kind of stayed in their way of, you know, people call or, you know, book that way. And unfortunately, some, you know, somebody came in and wiped that out. So it's something that you do have to be prepared for and pay attention to no matter what market you're in. We're going to go back to like the beginning of this life cycle of a client. So when somebody is deciding the services they're going to offer for their business, how do they know what to focus on? Like, should somebody offer a ton of things? Do you have any tips for somebody who's trying to figure out what their service niche is? So step one is I have a really great digital download and it's really, <laughs> it's called uh, pricing, packaging, and positioning your offer. I highly recommend downloading it because it's going to cover all of this in much more detail, but I always tell people start with your client results. So what is the result that you actually get clients and how do you, what do you need to do in order to get them there? So if it's very long-term, like for myself, it takes me, you know, six months of working with somebody one-on-one for them to see tens, if not hundreds of thousand dollars of return on their investment. I'm not going to offer a six week course because there's so much more to business than six weeks. Same with like weight loss or fitness or a health journey. You've got to make sure that you're building out service offerings that are going to get clients results where they one, want to work with you over and over again. So you're retaining them Two, they're bragging about you to all their friends, family, peers, because what you've done for their lives or their business or whatever you serve it has changed so dramatically. And then three, how does this play into the lifestyle that you personally want? So if you're wanting to travel or you're wanting to be a mom or you're wanting to not be working 50, 60 hours a week, you need to be building a business model that also caters to that, but can be highly lucrative and deliver results to your clients. So many good things to think about. I definitely will be checking out your downloadable and I hope everyone else does too. Something that you mentioned in that, that I think will be very important for my listeners, pricing. Where do we start when it comes to pricing? And I want to talk about raising prices too, but we'll start with that one. (laughs) Where do we start when it comes to pricing? Pricing is the every beginner's mistake. I think that most people price themselves incorrectly when they launch their business, whether it be too low or too high. And a lot of times it has to do with what they're actually including in their service offerings. So they throw all these features and benefits. And sometimes it's a call every single week with them because they think that that's what they need to do in order to get clients when, and so then they price it really high because they, they think I'm going to have to be on the phone every week. A lot of strategy goes into this. When I work with my clients, everything from the demographic of clients that they're going to serve. Is it location specific? We need to take, you know, into consideration if, if so, what is that market pain? We need to do research. I also want to know if you're coming out of an assistant marketing manager role and you're starting a marketing agency versus a client that comes to me, that's the former chief marketing officer for Estee Lauder, I'm going to price you at two very different price points because one person has 25 years of you know, chief executive experience. 
somebody else may be really good and they've got great design skills and they, you know, they've been doing really well at their marketing job, but they're not going to bring that level of expertise that's going to demand a five figure um, package price. And so really knowing what you bring to the table and also being willing to do work for a little bit less to get testimonials in, to get that social proof um, in order to then be increasing your rates. And I have, I try to increase all my clients rates uh, twice a year. Some of them we increase more frequently, just given the demand in which they're in. And I know when I talk to my friends who own businesses, their biggest fear is raising prices because they don't want to lose their clients. They don't want to make people upset and they don't know how to navigate that conversation help us. (laughs) Do you have any tip for how to navigate that conversation in the first place with your clients? So I have raised every single client that's ever worked with me. I've raised their rates across the board. Everyone that comes to me um, typically is priced under market. And so a lot of times that's going back and having conversations when contracts end with their current clients and saying, here's the new pricing whether that be for 2021 or, you know, mid-year. So with current clients on retainer, when you are getting ready to increase your rates, I always look at what's included in their current service offering. So let's just say they're paying you $2,000 a month, and that's for a total of like six different services. If you are raising the rates to $2,500 per month, is there a way that you can maybe readjust and add something in, but take a few things out so it looks like they're building the value? Is there a way that you can do less for them for the $2,000? So if $2,000 is our max budget, maybe you pull out um, you know, email broadcasts, but you're still doing social and LinkedIn and you know, whatever else is included. So really having those open lines of communication. I also think too, if you're really good at what you do and your clients are seeing a return and they enjoy working with you, they will appreciate that you're having that conversation of, you know, here's where I'm currently at at the market value. I've never had a client have one of their clients come back and say, I'm not willing to pay you what you're worth. And I think women will settle and And this is the same in corporate too. I think women don't ask, um, you know, for raises when they should, Um, they don't get the promotions or the bonuses that they deserve. And so it's really one delivering in the first place. So that way, when you go and you confidently ask for it, there's not, there's not an issue. So many good insights there for the client that does push back and is upset and angry managing that or maybe they are they just not a good fit at that point well so if the client's freaking out they don't see the value in you so there's a a bigger issue there that you haven't provided a service at the level in which that you're wanting to charge so i would say that could be issue number one or issue number two is that no they are not the right fit for you and a lot of times i do have my clients kind of terminate some of their clients that have either been around for a really long time and are so below market that might never come up or that are no longer a good fit. Because for example, if you have had this client for two years and they're paying $40 an hour and you can get a new client at 75, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. 
So unless this client is just a total breeze for you, you're passing it off to somebody on your team at a much lower hourly rate to do the work, you will not be able to scale by keeping those types of clients on. So there's client retention, but you also want to have some attrition as well. I love that. Okay, everyone, I hope you're taking notes. This is gold right here. And as we're moving along, so we niche down our services, we know what we're pricing now. How do we sell this thing? So any tips, maybe like your top two to three tips for feeling more confident on sales calls or just making sales. People get into that fear of, oh, I don't want to be too salesy or I don't know how to navigate that. Any tips you can provide us on nailing those sales? Yes. I have a digital download called Rock Your Sales Calls. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. going to go really into detail, not only about like, how do you pre-qualify these people through your website and your marketing and your copy, but then, you know, how do you prepare for the call? What do you do when you get them on the call and how do you how do you close the deals? But if you are getting calls, if you're getting discovery calls, you're getting interest, your marketing is working, but you truly have a sales issue, which most women do because it's uncomfortable. They look at sales in a completely different light in a negative way when really it's passing on the excitement of what you know you can deliver to your prospective client to feel that they can achieve that same result. And it really is just building a relationship, a connection. I think women make a mistake of not asking the right questions on a sales call. Um, I always say, ask a better question, get a better answer. Um, so if you're asking open-ended yes, no questions, and you're not able to really get to what is this person's pain point, you're not going to be able to paint the picture of the solution, which means that they're not going to see the value in hiring you. And I think it's also one more thing really important is that you have to show up as the industry expert. And you know, if you've ever gotten on a discovery call with somebody and you're the client and they don't feel confident in what they're doing or they're very meek and timid and have a hard time explaining how the process is going to work or what the results are going to be, you automatically go into this fear or doubt of buying and you will not make an investment. And so you have to understand that that's how people will feel too if you're not showing up as somebody who really knows what they're talking about. I love that you said the word excited because it's not a sales call. It's, you should be excited about what you can offer to help this person. So I like that word there. Let's change that mindset a little bit. I love doing sales calls. I get to meet so many women. I get to hear their stories. I get to figure out what's going on, what's not working for them. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not shy either. If somebody's not a good fit, or I don't think they're going to have success in a program or they're not where they need to be being able to have that conversation with them. And a lot of times I'll give them like, Hey, go do X, Y, and Z, get that under control or work on that and then come back and, and you'll be ready for this. And they do, they come back and they're ready. So, you know, being able to give somebody that advice as well, that the, the timing's not correct for them. Perfect. Okay. You you took the question right out of my head because I was just going to ask you, how do you know if somebody may not be a good fit and how do you navigate that? So that is perfect to give them some advice on how they could potentially work with you in the future. So now that we've kind of built this framework, we have our services, our pricing, we are feeling more confident on sales calls. Now we're actually running the business. How do we prioritize tasks? Do you have any insight into prioritizing? Sometimes as a business owner, you're working on the business or in the business, like trying to navigate that. Do you have like top 
few tips to help us prioritize like what's most important? Yes. So I always set all my clients up with what I call a CEO Monday. I do it on Mondays. Some of my clients do Fridays, Wednesdays, whatever day works for you. But I really challenge my clients to spend a full eight to 10 hours in their business every single week. It's the only way you'll scale. If you're constantly in the weeds and you're constantly working on client work, your own business will suffer. So on these days, it could be anything from being on podcasts, marketing, it could be all of your financials, you know, getting email um, copy ready to go, social media posts, whatever it is, it's going to help grow your business doing discovery calls. So that way the other days you are purely working on your client work. That's why I get mine out of the way on Monday. Um, so I know that when I coach Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, that I can really truly focus on that. Such a great idea. I think having that designated time, it makes it so it's like, okay, I have to do this. It's scheduled in the calendar. It's easy to get lost in the weeds. It's so easy. And I will map my Mondays out sometimes eight weeks in advance based off of launches that we have going, speaking engagements, whatever is going on in the business. So it's very clear for the next eight Mondays, what needs to get done and in what order and how is that going to help me get ahead for what we have planned and coming up? It's also really nice too, because if we go out of town on the weekend and we have you know, a long weekend, um, I can kind of double up that work before on a Monday before or a Monday after. And it's a lot easier to just take that day off because I'm already ahead. You have twins, you have a family life and you're running this business. And that was something in the beginning you mentioned you were working 90 hour crazy weeks and wanted your life back a little bit. Can you kind of speak to that? Because I feel like we get a little, that's how we get burnout and that's happening, especially the past year we've had a lot of people are burned out. So I guess, how does it, how have you been able to take your time back and what would you give as a piece of advice for someone who feels like they don't have control of their time? So I will say, you know, I'm not one of these people that says like I'm a corporate dropout or, you know, I hated corporate. I actually loved corporate. Um, I didn't mind working the amount of hours I was. It was very exciting at the time, the business. I mean, for the nine years, it was growing at such a rapid pace. Um, and we were bringing on and onboarding. I had a, a team of over 500 under me. And so I, yes, it was exhausting, but it also reaped a lot of rewards. I did travel a lot and that, you know, was able to really manage my own time. Now, when I became a mom, I realized that they also need a lot of time, but I also want to be very present with them. So I have very, very set office hours. And when I'm in the office, I'm in the office. I'm not, I don't have kids running around. They either at preschool or with a nanny, somebody has them. I'm fully focused on running this business. But then when I leave the office and I go into mom mode, I'm fully focused on that. And my clients know that, you know, after 5 PM, they will not get a response from me. And so I think really one setting boundaries and then two, knowing what is important for you and your family. And I'm very fortunate. I have a husband that's supportive. My kids understand that we both work, we both own companies and we really loop them in on that even at three years old. So they understand, you know, what we're doing when we're not with them. I love that. That's so cool that to bring them in and get this mindset so early on. I think that's really cool. We are going to head into the working girl talk top 10 in just a minute, but one last question for you before we head into it. 
Can you go back in time and tell us about that first client experience? So you just, you, your mom, now you left your corporate job, having that first client and how that felt for you. Like, what was that experience like? Were you scared? How was it? So the former CEO and COO of, um, the company that I was with, um, they obviously got bought out when we sold and, um, they had started a new, they were thinking about starting a new venture. And so they looped me in and asked me to start building out the strategy and working with them. So they were my first client, which I think in a way was a blessing. And it also gave me that confidence of, you know, they're coming to me, um, to do this for them. And then my second client that I ever got, I was working for them and I happened to be going in to get a facial and I started talking to this woman and I didn't even have a website or anything yet. And I told her, you know, this is what I do. I came out of this background and she said, I have to hire you. I need your help. I've been, you know, I've had my business for 12 years, would love to have you come in. And then I kind of decided, okay, I need to get like a website. I need to, you know, get everything going. And I started networking and, um, you know, was really able to build the business quickly considering I didn't have, I didn't have a circle of female entrepreneurs. I didn't know any female entrepreneurs when I started this business because I had been in that corporate environment. I love it. I always love to ask that and get the little sneak peek at how it was starting out. We all start somewhere. So I always like to hear how it began. We do. And I I mean, I'll be fully transparent. I think I charged her. I want to say, I said, I'll come sit down with you for $89 an hour. And I thought to myself at the time, Hey, that pays for a babysitter. And I'm just getting to go do something today. I mean, I had literally like eight week old twins. (laughs) crazy, crazy. I would have done anything. I probably would have gotten for free actually. Um, and you know, now I'm charging, I'm 10 times that for an hourly call. So you do, you have to, you start off somewhere. If I would have charged what I'm charging today, I probably wouldn't have gotten any clients, but you work your way up to it. I love that. And what do you think about people not charging in the beginning at all? Like is that, I know you mentioned getting like building up some testimonials first, but when, I guess is, when do you know you're being taken advantage of a little bit? You need to charge. So I never recommend doing it for free. You need to have some type of buy-in because people need to have skin in the game and they need to have some type of investment. And even on, uh, and sometimes if it's too low, they're not going to give you the testimonials. They're not going to give you the feedback because they're not really that committed. Kind of like when you get free tickets to something, you don't really care if you're there on time, but if you, you know, you invested with your own money, it's a little bit different. And so I always find a sweet spot for my clients where they're going to be compensated for their time, not fully, but the person that's also investing them is going to get value and also be willing to be a part of the program or service offering. Love that. All goes back to value. Love it. And we are going to head into the top 10. So 10 quick questions to help the audience get to know you. First one, my first job ever. I was the front desk girl at 24 hour fitness. And I talk about this story. I've shared it um, on a couple other podcast episodes that I took the morning shift from 4am. This is in high school when I got my driver's license from 4am 
to 8 a.m. would go to high school and then would come back from 4 p.m. to like 7, 8 p.m. Um, after sports because those were the busiest hours. And so people were buying protein shakes and drinks and the towels and everything else that they bought back then. And at 17, I was ranked, and this is so funny, but I was ranked number three salesperson for every 24 hour fitness in the world. <laughs> and it's funny now because I've had no idea what sales was. Nobody taught me how to sell. They literally just taught me how to scan people's cards when they walked in. But I think it's because I just built so many relationships and I was there when so many people were coming in and I would talk to everybody. Um, so I guess you could say that was like the start of like my sales career. <laughs> I love it. If, if you guys weren't convinced already, that is sales expert. That is awesome. Unintentionally too. Next one, an essential part of my morning routine is. Oh, this is so funny. And I always laugh at morning routines because I was a huge morning routine person until I became a mom. And now it's very hit or miss. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am a walk straight to the Nespresso machine every single morning. It's the first thing I do is get coffee, even on vacation. Um, and then, you know, I try to now quick get myself ready before I know anyone's going to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Next one. I'm obsessed with blank right now. Okay. This is so stupid, but I just shared these the other day on my Instagram story. There's these um, liquid tanning drops called Isle of Paradise, and you mix them in with your moisturizer. So I feel like just adding these in your moisturizer in the middle of winter on your face just gives you a glow. And I've been telling people about them because I feel like all the women need to know. <laughs> Such a good one. Next one, a girl boss that I look up to. There's a lot. But I will say I've always loved Sarah Blakely and lately this past two years, what she's done through her personal brand and social media and really just being totally transparent, open, honest, the fun side of her. Um, I would say that I, I definitely admire her. She is such inspiration. Love her. Did you ever watch on Netflix that Shine On with Reese show, Reese Witherspoon? I did. Yeah. And she interviewed Sarah and it was so good. All the women she interviewed. Yeah. Dolly, and yes, I did. Um, yes. That's, I do recommend that to some of my clients to watch. Yeah. That was so good. They need to do more seasons. It like came and then it never did anything. <laughs> Yeah. I loved seeing the Sphinx like headquarters. That was so cool. Best piece of financial advice you've ever received. One thing that my husband and I have done with everything other than investment properties is we have paid cash. So we do not finance. We will save up. Um, we will set aside envelopes, whatever it may be. Um, but everything other than residential properties, we have paid cash for. And I do think that like when the pandemic hit last year or if a recession were to hit, we always have this level of comfort because we know that we have, we have liquid assets that we could sell or what, if whatever happened and we needed money that we're not leveraged through loans. Such a great tip. I love that. Great insight and not talked about that often. So thank you. I like that. 
Yeah. It's not talked about. And I don't think that people realize how much that they're spending in interest or when you really tally up what some of these people owe on like car loans and credit cards and the amount of debt they have, um, it can, it can be scary. And for us, we're able to take a lot more risk when it comes to our businesses because personally we're okay. And next one, I am grateful for blank. Oh, my kids, my fam, my family in general. Um, but my kids, we went through six rounds of IVF while I was in that corporate role and it just seemed like something that may never happen. And then to be blessed with both was just life-changing. Love that. Next one. I have blank at my desk always. Drinks. Oh my gosh. Not, not alcohol drinks, (laughs) (laughs) but there's always, um, there's always like a few different ones. I think I just stockpile them throughout the day. But like right now I have a coffee, a protein shake and a water. (laughs) (laughs) And next one, I feel most confident when, when I am speaking to female entrepreneurs, soon as I get in front of women and I know that I can have an impact on their lives and their businesses, I, I feel most confident for sure. Love that. Love that. And perfect place to be. <laughs> Next one, number nine, proudest moment in your career so far. I think making a hundred thousand by 23 years old, uh, when I was 23 was a huge milestone for me that really just changed the trajectory of what I felt was possible. And I really do think by establishing that it created a shift and a level of confidence where I was able to then go and climb the corporate ladder at the startup. Love that. And last one, number 10, I am inspired by. Oh, I, I would say I am inspired by all of the incredible women who have built, you know, and, and whether they've sold them or kept them, but billion dollar brands. I mean, it's a very small circle of women that have achieved that. Um, and the stories that go behind it are just incredible. Love that. You made it through the top 10 round. Where can everyone stay connected with you and check out all the things you're up to? Yes. So I'm at the Jessica Marks on Instagram and www.thejessicamarks.com. Um, and you can find those digital downloads. I also have some opt-in worksheets that help you build out your six-figure signature offer that you can download. Um, so lots of great resources. I try to go on Instagram stories four days a week and share free business advice. So if you have a side hustle or you're recent to entrepreneurship, please soak in all this free information because it's what's going to really help take you to the next level. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Jessica. So amazing. Make sure to go check out her and her website and all her good resources. Lastly, every episode ends with a Friday favorite. Today's Friday favorite is a song called Wow by Zara Larson and Sabrina Carpenter. I just discovered this. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I should be ashamed to say this, whatever, but I've been listening to a playlist called Teen Pop Hits, like what the kids are listening to nowadays. And this song came up on there and it's actually a really catchy song. So Wow by Zara Larson and Sabrina Carpenter. That's what I've been jamming out to this week. 
Thank you so much for listening to Working Girl Talk. If anything resonated with you today, make sure to leave a review for the podcast and subscribe to the show. Also, if there's a specific moment that you liked, screenshot the episode while you're listening, tag at Jessica Marks on Instagram and tag at Working Girl Talk on Instagram so we can see what you have to say. Love hearing your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Have a wonderful work day. Thank you.